Amen. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. As we look in God's Word today, we will read some scriptures to you that we have read many occasions and will continue to read because it was the marching orders that Jesus gave to the church, every one of his followers, his, his disciples, okay? But it's important for us before I read these scriptures that you understand what Jesus said and then our mission that we've been called to be a part of. And one of the things that we need to see right at the very beginning is exactly what we were just singing about in that song right there. So Jesus has lived his ministry life. He died on the cross. He arose on the third day. He is in and out of the lives of the apostles and the disciples for 40 days, and he is about to ascend into heaven. And he speaks to the disciples, and he gives them this message. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. All right, we were just singing about that. I have the authority. Why? Because Jesus has given it to us. He is the one who is seated on high, who has given us the victory and the power to live not only this Christian life, but everything that God has asked us to do and do with him for him. So Jesus is giving the pronouncement of what he is saying to all of his followers here. I have all the authority. He defeated sin. He defeated death. And he's given victory to those who would follow him. So Jesus says, I have been given all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. I'm going to stop here for a second. Because this is something that was completely transformational to the people he's speaking to. Because those he is addressing in this setting are Jews. And Jews were raised under the teachings of Judaism, which was the law. And they were very, um, I don't want to say um, racist, but in the sense that they were all about themselves. They saw themselves as God people, God's people, God's nation, and everyone else was a heathen going to hell. Yeah. That's how they viewed it. Because, see, they had received the promise through Abraham that the Messiah would come into the world. And God said, I have chosen you to be my people. This is Old Testament. And he said, I have made a covenant with you and through you. This is the part they missed. All nations will be blessed. That was God's original covenant with Abraham. But what happened was the people, the Jews, those Hebrew descendants began to own the fact that they were God's people. It got them in trouble all the time. Because they thought they didn't have to live any different than they wanted to because they had his name. But he called them to live differently and punished them because they didn't. But let's just stay with us for a moment because what Jesus just did was affirmed God's original covenant through you I will bless all nations. Now Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations. There are no racial, socioeconomical, any of that kind of stuff divisions or boundaries with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It has no boundary. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for everyone. So just don't answer this. Are you praying for both candidates to know Jesus? I said don't answer that. So I know you're not listening. All right. So you see... When, when Jesus died, he died for everyone. Not just the people you like or want to see again, for everyone. And this is exactly the message he is giving to these people that are standing in front of him right now. This is for everyone. Don't hold back. All right. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father. And Hey, sorry about that. You didn't listen stuff. Just pay attention. Here we go. <laughs> Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. And be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So we have Jesus giving bookends of power and authority and his presence with us at the beginning and the end of the commission. I've been given all this authority. Now go and do something with what I've done and given to you. But you're not going alone. I'm going with you. Pretty cool stuff, right? We've heard this a bunch of times. But it's important for us because, you know, as we look into these scriptures, sometimes when we read the Bible, even with new modern translations, which I'm comfortable with modern translations as long as they stay true to the scripture. Um, But we need to know language because language changes and words have different meaning. Um, Yep, we're going to just move on. Words have different meaning. We'll just leave that there and just go on, all right? Listen. Um, when the Word of God says that, that you are going to go make disciples, remember who he's talking to? Disciples. Okay? So he says to the disciples, you're to go make disciples. The first thing he says to them as we make disciples is to baptize them. Okay? So baptism is something that we need to understand first and foremost. And I want you to know that it's crazy that we can take what Jesus says to us and make it a dividing line in the church instead of something that calls us to him. And that's, um, yeah, I'll just say, isn't it stupid that church people will argue over things that God says to us? You can say amen to that one if you're listening. It's just stupid. Baptism. Baptism. Okay. As we look at the scriptures, then, we want to understand, first off, what baptism is. Because we need to know what the Bible says about baptism, not what a church says about baptism. I want to know what God says about it. What is it that God is saying about this? Because as followers of Christ, those of you that know Jesus and He's your Savior, He has told us to go and make new disciples, right? Okay, we're going to figure that out as we look in the scriptures and find out what Jesus is saying to us. Baptism, out of the old life into the new. Because if you notice the context of the scriptures that we just said, he said, go and make disciples and then teach these new disciples. So it's an old life and a new life. And the baptism that is to take place is the ushering in of the new life. It is the point at which we celebrate the old life's death and the new life's beginning. Okay, so let's go into the Old Testament for a minute and look at where we find roots for baptism. Because when you go back into the Levitical law, Judaism, that God gave to his people through Moses, there's something significant that God says to Moses in giving instruction to Aaron and his sons. Aaron was Moses' brother. He was the high priest, and his sons would be the next high priest. And then the Levites were the ministerial family. All right. So let's look at what God says to him, and it's in Exodus chapter 30. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a bronze wash basin with a bronze stand. So it's like a little pool. Place it between the tabernacle and the altar and fill it with water. Aaron and his sons will wash their hands and feet there. 
They must wash with water whenever they go into the tabernacle to appear before the Lord and when they approach the altar to burn up their special gifts to the Lord or they will die. Pretty strong commandment here, right? I mean, maybe not to the common people, but I guarantee you Aaron and his kids were like, whoa, dude, wash your hands. We've been being told that, right? All right, well, let's stay with what God's trying to say right here. You're going to die if you don't. They must always wash their hands and feet or they will die. This is a permanent law for Aaron and his descendants to be observed from generation to generation. Okay, God's pretty serious about this. So God institutes this initial washing as a symbol and a purpose. Listen, church, remember this. No one, none of us, could come into the presence of God because sin reigned. And therefore, even the priests themselves could not enter the presence of God or do anything in worship or in connection or relationship with God without at least a symbolism of removing the dirt of this world. God was saying, you're going to work for me. You're going to be moving in my presence. Clean that up. Don't bring that stuff with you when you come into my presence. But this isn't baptism yet. Just a beginning teaching of the washing that was necessary to remove the dirt, to come clean in the presence of God. So let's keep moving. Now, as God instituted this symbolism and ritual of washing, and if you don't, you're going to die, he also instituted the Day of Atonement. So this is what God said to his people. He told Moses, now you tell Aaron, don't come into my presence just whenever he wants to. You can only come into my presence one time per year on the Day of Atonement. Now, when God was speaking of this, remember, he had established the building of the tabernacle. There was the holy place and the most holy place. And there was a curtain. All this was enclosed and no people could come into the tabernacle of God. None. The only people that could even come into the doorway, which would be the back of our sanctuary, would be the priests and their ministerial family, only to do the service of God. Now then, in that tabernacle, they would do the different things that were happening, incense, the the menorah stand, and, and the bread and all that that was happening. But behind that curtain, which was the Holy of Holies, is where the Ark of the Covenant was, where God had Moses put the Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod because it was proving God himself saying, I have selected his family as my priests. Those things were in that holy place, the most holy place. And so God says, tell Aaron, don't come in there except one time a year. This is also what he says, and we're going to read this because this is pretty cool, because when you see the scriptures and what it says, God said this, tell him, don't come in there except one time a year because that is where my presence is, coming into the very presence of God. So let's read what Scripture says, Leviticus 16. When Aaron enters the sanctuary area, he must follow these instructions fully. He must bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He must put on his linen tunic and the linen undergarments worn next to his body. He must tie the linen sash around his waist, put the linen turban on his head. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself in water before he puts them on. 
Oh, so now we got another thing that God's saying to us. He's saying, wait a minute. Just washing your hands and feet isn't good enough now. You're coming into my presence. You got to be clean. Wash everything. Put on special clothing that I have ordained for you to be in my presence with. It's really important stuff here, guys, if you just listen and think about what Jesus says to us and what he's done for the church. So as we go along in this, God says, before you enter my presence, I require something of you. I require a complete washing. But God did not just say, I want a complete washing. Remember what I read at first? And if you go on and read in verse number six, God said, first, you must bring a bull and a ram and offer it for you and for your family's sin. So the washing wasn't enough. There had to be an offering for sin that went along with the washing. And if there was not an offering for the sin, the washing would do no good and he would die. God said, the sin offering and the washing together, now you can come into my presence. Okay, just let that sink in. Now, following the sequence of events, preparing, preparing to come in. God says, do this. Now let's jump up to John the Baptist. We name him John the Baptist. He was called this by people because he came baptizing. <laughs> Check it out. Listen to this. Luke chapter 3, verse 2. At this time, a message from God came to John, the son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. Then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Yeah. So John's saying, you need to be baptized, but your baptism has a purpose. It's not just to come in here and get some kind of religious ceremony happening over in your life. He's saying you need to be baptized to publicly show that you have turned from your sins and you are turning to God and therefore there is a change in your life. You are coming as a child of God, having been cleansed by God in forgiveness. Verse 7. When the crowds came to John for baptism, he said, You brood of snakes! Who warned you to flee the coming wrath? What a great message. Doesn't make mine sound so bad, does it? <laughs> Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. That's awesome. John's like, don't even just show up here to be baptized. Prove your life is different. Live it. And if you're not living it, I ain't getting you wet. Man, church, seriously, we have a lot of people that are so screwed up in what the church has taught and what we think. We think because we can come to church and get baptized, my life's going to change. No way. That is a public confession that your life has changed. That God's in your life. That you have been forgiven. That you are starting a new life. And that God has removed you from the old way of living into the new. Okay. So John is preparing the way for Jesus. Calling people to change the way they live. 
to be baptized as a symbol of that change that's taking place in your life. And he says, there's one coming that's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost in fire. This is what John says. There's another baptism coming in your life. All right. So we see very clearly that when they were called to be baptized, it was to show they were changed. Right? I mean, it's pretty clear in Scripture. And God says it's required to be in my presence that there's a sin offering and a washing. John says, if you're going to be God's people, then you're going to live like God's people and you're going to be cleansed and make a public confession that I'm a different person and I am no longer that person. I'm following God's ways. Pretty clear and understand right here. So, when we go back to the Great Commission, we understand that Jesus says... All authority has been given to me. Now go and make new disciples. Baptize them. First thing he said. Those that would be my disciples are baptized. They've come to the place where their life is no longer theirs. They're serving God. They've given up that old life and they're starting something new. All right. This is why I don't practice infant baptism. See, the church has taught infant baptism. It's nowhere in the Bible. This is not to condemn you or your church's teachings. I'm saying it's a condemnation of the church's teaching when we do things that are outside of Scripture, giving a false hope to people. Come on. It's the Word of God. It's pretty clear that baptism is because there's been a change in your life. You've repented of your sins. You've turned to God. An infant can't do that. So, Christian baptism that is taught in Scripture is the person that is being baptized is making a public confession. That's why I don't do them in private either. I've had people ask me, I like getting in front of people, can you baptize me in private? It's like, no. Sorry. Can't do that. It's pointless. The whole point of it is to say, I'm not the same. God's in my life. So it's making a public confession of repentance, turning from the old life of sin and a new life in Christ. It's exactly what the Apostle Paul was writing to the church in Rome. Romans chapter 5, the very last few verses into Romans chapter 6, says this. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relation with God and new life for everyone. Okay, so through Jesus, there's the opportunity for new life. The life that we received from Adam was a life of death, sin. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners, but because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. God's word is just like this mirror and saying, look how jacked up you are. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do this. You can't do that. Seriously. The law proves that we can't do it on our own. All right. But as people sin more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life with Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, here's the problem right here. That's not in what I just read, but in the way that we've divided the Bible. 
The original scripture was not written in chapters and verse. And we have stopped chapter 5 and started chapter 6. And oftentimes when we as Christians read, we stop reading that chapter right there. God's not done with what he's saying to us right here. We have to continue reading in 6 verse 1. So let's read that last verse of 5, reading right into 6, because it all ties together. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life with Jesus Christ our Lord. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of His wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined Him in His death. For we died and were buried with Christ in baptism. Do you see the role we're playing here now? He's saying there's an absolute expectation of all who have received this new life to be baptized because it shows that our old life is dead. A new life starts. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Transformation change. I'm now a disciple of Christ. I'm a Christ follower. I'm no longer owned by sin. Sin no longer owns me. I belong to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, that life is dead to me. That's why I hate when people say I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, you're not. You were a sinner. Now you're saved by grace. Don't own that. Jesus paid the price so you didn't have to be that, live that, or have it own you. This new life is to be a disciple of Christ. So going back to Matthew 28. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. Make disciples, teach these new disciples. So what is a disciple anyway? It's not really a word we use. So if you look into the New Testament and you go into the book of Acts, the name disciple doesn't appear very much anymore. The reason is, is because those disciples of Christ began to be called Christians because they were identified by his name because people knew who they were following why because they lived differently we don't use that name anymore disciple it's very rare we use the name Christian why because we are identifying who we follow because the meaning of disciple is a follower That's the most simple terminology. That's the most simple explanation of that word is to be a follower. So Jesus said, go and make disciples and teach these new disciples what I commanded you. So he's saying, I want you to replicate people, duplicate people as followers of me. That's the whole idea. Okay, let's move on. So understanding that this, the root meaning of that word In the Greek, which I'm not going to give you a Greek word. I'd probably screw it up anyway, but it's follower. Okay, learner. Those are the definitions, a follower and a learner. But it goes much deeper than that. When you do go into the Greek language and you see that term that is used there, there's something more we need to understand about this. And it's awesome. I want you to know that in Scripture, 
John the Baptist had disciples. He had followers. And they were called John's disciples. Mark chapter 2. Once, when John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, some people came to Jesus and asked, why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples and the Pharisees do? So we identify something right here. There were disciples of John, and there were disciples of Jesus. Okay? So the reason why we would see that there is that word disciple means follower, learner. So John had a group of people that were learning and following him, understanding his teaching, and Jesus had disciples as well. Let's just move on from there for a second, because we see the Pharisees themselves call themselves disciples. In John chapter 9, verse 28, this is what they said. We are disciples of Moses. So they were saying, we're following Moses' teaching in the law, the Torah. So, knowing that the Greek word here is follower or learner, the disciples now, as we look into that term, also has a deeper meaning. I don't speak Spanish. I don't speak any other language. I don't speak English real well. But I do know this because I started taking Spanish, I think, three or four times. And uh, I know that, I think I know that <laughs> you, can, you can say the same word with a different like um, pronunciation or emphasis, and it can mean something different. So it's the same word, but it can mean two different things depending on how you lead into it or you emphasize it in your speaking. So here we are at the word disciple in the Greek. So when you look at the deeper meaning of disciple, it's not just learner and follower, but the other word meaning is adherent. Adherent. So it's saying more than a learner, more than just getting knowledge but it's getting knowledge to adhere to what you've learned. Now, that's pretty cool. Because when you look deeper into that, and we see this, this is now going back. John the Baptist said to his disciples, there's one coming. I'm not telling you to learn and follow me. Don't adhere to who I am. There's one coming. That's awesome. Okay. When we look at the Pharisees, the Pharisees themselves said, follow the Torah. Adhere to that teaching. Right? They use that word. Follow the law. Live the law. This is what Jesus said. Follow me. The others were pointing to someone else. Jesus made an incredible statement when he called his disciples. And I'm not talking about just the 12 apostles. But his disciples were all of his followers. Follow me. We're not pointing anywhere else. We're not talking about anywhere else. Follow me. Now, when Jesus says this, I want you to know in the book of Matthew, he said he gave that invitation six different times. Those exact words, follow me. Okay, so in his original calling of the disciples, when Jesus said, follow me, remember that these people that were hearing Jesus' message knew the word, and they understood what it meant to be a disciple, meant to follow after, to learn, and to live. 
It's important that we would know that. Because, see, when Jesus invited the 12 apostles to follow him, there was a different meaning and purpose to them because they were being called out, literally, of their old life into a brand new life of everything. Disciples were being called into a new life of following him. Okay. The 12 as we know, we're set apart as apostles, and a lot of times in the church, we confuse those two titles because, first, the twelve were called disciples because they were disciples first. But then Jesus gave them an office of apostle. Luke chapter 6 says this, One day soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. At daybreak, he called together all of his disciples and chose 12 of them to be apostles. It's really important that we would understand that, church, because we get really confused about some of this stuff, and Jesus called them to a specific office and task beyond being a disciple. See, when he names the 12, and we do in that scripture, but we're going to run out of time, so I'm going to hurry. An apostle is a different office than a disciple, and we see it clearly taught in scriptures. Therefore, it is not every disciple's call to actually leave their secular work, their family, their place, their vocation, and follow Christ into something new, as in a new office or new job. But everyone is called to be a disciple, to leave their old life, and to adhere to the teachings of Christ as they live. There's the difference. See, a disciple is adhering to, learning and understanding and adhering to the teachings of Christ in their lives. Not everyone is called to leave that life physically and start a new career in Jesus' work. Ephesians chapter 4. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Fivefold offices. Jesus gave a gift to the church, to his disciples, to his followers. Their responsibility there, the five, to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. So it's very clear that He gave a specific office and job to specific people that He Himself has selected in the church to do specific things. As your pastor, having done the tests of the apostle, prophet, teacher, pastor, all that stuff, I don't score high at all in the pastor. I don't, because I'm not. God's given me and equipped me and called me and given me a different gift in these five. doesn't matter which one it is. I'm just telling you it's not pastor and it's not teacher. Okay. As we read now, there's something important for us to learn as we go through this because we're still talking about disciples and making disciples because that's what it's all about. You understand that? It's not about pastors. It's not about apostles. It's not about prophets. not about evangelist teachers. None of that. It's not about that. It's always about Jesus and making new disciples. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Okay, church, I want you to know, if you remember, as we go back to the Great Commission, it said, teach these new disciples all that I have commanded you. So now he's saying, I've given some equipment, 
I have given these leaders a gift to you as a church to equip you to be that, to measure up to, to understand what Jesus says about what he expects out of our life so that we as the body of Christ would measure up to the full standard, which is Christ-likeness. Followers of Christ, Christians, truly Christians. Not just the name, but people that not only learn and know about him, but their lives are being changed to live like him. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like truth. Church needs to grow up, man. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ who is the head of His body, the church. Isn't that awesome? We're all supposed to be growing up and looking more and more like Jesus. The adherence, Christ-likeness. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing full of love. Okay, so now we see some clarity in the whole discipleship-making process. What we find is that Jesus said, like, I've given gifts to certain people to equip you so that you as a body do your part, and as a whole we accomplish the purpose of what I've sent you for. Oh, okay. So as a church, we should be disciples and making disciples as a church, as the body, as each one does their special purpose. God has something for you to do. God expects you to do something about his work, his kingdom, the transformation, the adherence to the life of Christ. This is why when we invite you to be part of the church, we ask you to take a spiritual gifts test so that you can learn and we can know what special place God has for you to serve him. It identifies it. See, God's given you abilities. and He's given them to you for his purpose, but for the special work that he's called us to so that we as a church can continue to make new disciples. The church should never stop. I, I mean this right. Now, some people wrongly say things about me and the church and talk about it has to be bigger, bigger. Yeah, until there's no one left to save, the church should get bigger. Until everyone's following Christ, we should not stop adding new people. Jesus said, go and make disciples and teach them. That's our job. He didn't say, hey, cap it at 200. He didn't. He didn't say cap it at 50 or 2,000. He didn't say cap it at all. Jesus died for everyone. It's not about me and you, church. It's about him. And see, when we follow Christ, we understand that because Jesus lived his entire life for the Father. It wasn't about him. It was about doing the will of the Father for us. Jesus said, now I'm going to send you the exact same way. Same way that the Father sent me, I'm sending you. That's what Jesus said, right? So it's not about me. It's about the Father and everyone else. That's what it means to be a disciple. <laughs> are you a disciple of Christ? Have you been saved? And have you been, have you been baptized in your new life of faith? Has that happened in your life? Yes. We're going to have a baptism October 25th. I think the date is. It's coming up. You may have been 
wrongly baptized, you may have wrongly stepped into baptism. Someone else may have baptized you or talked you into being baptized. Like, I don't care about any of that. I, I mean that respectfully. I'm saying you understand your relationship with God and if God has spoken to you, called you out of your old life and you have not been baptized in your new life, you need to be. There's some churches that teach you can't have a second baptism. The Bible says it happened. Read your Bible, man. Acts chapter 16, there were disciples of John who were baptized in John's baptism and they were told, you have to be rebaptized. In the name of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the answer, not John. John's baptism was a preparation for what God was going to do in their life. Therefore, you can be rebaptized. Just want you to know that. But it's not something you need to do every week or every baptism. Uh, it's not. Anyway, we won't go into that right now. So what are you engaging in or what are you a part of that is discipling you into Christ-likeness? You hear what I just said? What are you engaging in? What are you involved in? What are you doing that is discipling you into Christ-likeness? No, y'all can say, well, I go to church every Sunday because you're here. That's great. And I believe that's a part of the discipleship process. No question about it. I, I, I know that. But you see, the reason we ask those questions at the beginning of accountability, are you spending time in God's Word? Are you spending time in prayer? Do you know what the Holy Spirit's saying? Are you sharing your faith? See, those are the marks of a disciple. That's someone that's living their faith. They're engaging in a relationship with God to become Christ-like in their life. What has God wired you to do as part of His church? Do you know that? Do you know what God has wired you to do as part of His church? See, what Jesus modeled was a spirit-led, servant-hearted life. That's what you and I should be. That's it. Spirit-led, I mean, after we're saved and baptized, of course, but I'm saying spirit-led, servant-hearted life. That's the discipleship. That's exactly what Jesus modeled in everything that he did. Church, we need to step into not only being a disciple or Christ follower, a Christian but also to help others learn and understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It's not just coming to church. It's not just saying a prayer one time in your life. It's life transformation out of the old into the new, marked at a specific time in your life as you celebrate with the body of Christ in baptism. I'm not that old person. I'm new. Amen? You can sign up online to be baptized if you're ready. But let's prepare that today by if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, we need to start there. We need to know that He is the one and only Savior. And without Him, you can't make it. You can't do it. All you're going to do is prove that sin owns you. Until you come and repent of your sin, receive Christ as your Savior, you can't be made new. can't make a public confession of being new. Well, you can make one, but it'd be a lie have to be changed by him and by his power and that happens through the spirit of God that indwells us father we love you thank you so much for Jesus thank you for your word and how you're teaching instructors to walk in the newness of life pray for anyone that is listening online anyone that is in this room that God if we are trying to live as a disciple on our own 
we are to know the defeated life that we live. Awaken us to understand the commitment and surrender, the coming into your presence that we need, that we might receive from you that forgiveness and healing and restoration. Lord, we love you and we thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks so much for being here today. We're going to have-